Welcome to episode 59 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Ian Chasad. Let's get started. So my first topic this week is focused on Samsung Networks. And so news broke that um, they are helping Korea Telecom deploy their first commercial standalone 5G network in South Korea. So what does this mean for new service delivery? You and I have talked about on prior podcasts, you know, taking 5G core and 5G RAN and how that will truly unlock the potential of 5G from a latency and a throughput perspective. So uh, it's no secret that South Korea has been a leader on the global stage with respect to 5G. And um, this is just another proof point uh, behind where they are at in their deployments. And, Certainly with a commercial standalone 5G network, that is going to start unlocking you know, some of the most valued use cases such as you know, autonomous driving, um, you know, industry 4.0, and you know, other applications. So did you catch this, uh, this announcement, Angela? And do you have any further insights? Yeah, I, I think it's actually coming a little bit later than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of expecting that uh, KT would be um, you know, having a commercial standalone 5G network sooner. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not surprised that it's Samsung who's helping them do this. Um, but overall, I think it's a positive move because, um, you know, KT is one of the world's leading operators for leading edge technologies. So um, if they're adopting it and they're adopting it relatively soon, um, it means that many others are likely to follow thereafter. Yeah, I mean, SK Telecom, you know, uh, one of their competitors has really been in the kind of the, you know, the pole position with respect to deployment and and new 5G service delivery. So I was sort of surprised when I saw this come across the wire that it wasn't SK Telecom, but KT. But um, I'm sure SK um, is not very far behind. So, but let's move to your first topic this week. And I, I did see that Verizon expanded their fixed wireless access footprint. And you want to talk about that? Yeah, so what they are doing is they're expanding their 5G fixed wireless, um, which is pretty much millimeter wave at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're calling ultra wideband, um, but realistically that is gonna also incorporate uh, their mid band as well mm-hmm. um, because that's just how they're marketing it. Um, but uh, what's interesting is they're doubling it from 24 cities, which is what they currently offer to 42. Um, I know that's not perfectly doubling it, but it's essentially doubling. Um, (laughs) And uh, what's interesting is they're also offering up to a $1,500 credit to these businesses to terminate their contracts. Um, And it's extending uh, their their price lock guarantee to 10 years, which is pretty good. Um, And as somebody whose both parents used to own small businesses, um, a 10-year lock on a good price is good, you know, because it guarantees, you know, cost controls um, because a lot of a lot of ISPs will give you promotional pricing and then start jacking up the prices because Back they know the they yeah. can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a big deal um, because a lot of small businesses basically have one or two choices. Uh, and usually the second choice is far behind the first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very similar to what I think is happening in consumer. Um, yeah. And I think that this is a big deal. Uh, it couldn't come sooner. 
Um, I think 5G is going to impact businesses bigger than I think it will consumers, at least in the beginning. And um, I'm really happy to see Verizon kind of expanding this and hopefully it'll continue to expand as their their mid-band deployment grows as well. Yeah, you know, those are huge incentives. Now, I wonder, I didn't catch this news, so I, uh, I'm not up to speed, but is there a con- I mean, is there a contract commitment to get that $1,500 incentive and to get that 10-year price uh, lock-in? So I didn't look into that detail, uh, but I can almost guarantee that there's a contract involved simply because one, there's a yeah. 10-year price guarantee, and right. two, they're giving you money to leave another operator. And usually when you do that, you sign a contract. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably at least 12 to 24 months, but but no, it's super aggressive. So, um, wow, that's uh, th- that's pretty impressive on Verizon's part. Well, let's move to my second topic this week. And I took my second business trip of the year post-COVID uh, to New York City. So um, AT&T uh, invited me to attend a 5G event. And um, it was uh, was in the Chelsea area. And I I think that borough is, um, it must be a hotbed for operator, you know, proof of concept labs, because um, I spent time with Verizon a few years ago at their alley, um, which is a sort of a co-working, you know, facility, but it also houses their their, their 5G proof of concept lab also in Chelsea. So I'm seeing a trend here. But, uh, you know, I, I spend, you know, considerable time with AT&T and, have, you know, you and I follow their, their 5G deployment, but um, it was interesting. So they, they had a, um, a more business focused um, panel in, in the morning. And then there were, there were demo activities that followed and uh, Ashton Kutcher um, was part, one of the panelists. And if, um, if our viewers and subscribers aren't familiar with, with his focus on tech, he's very tech savvy. And so he's kind of parlayed his movie star career into uh, investing in tech. He was an early investor in Uber and uh, he's very heavily invested um, as he spoke on the panel into um, you know, areas like you know, telemedicine and healthcare and that sort of thing. And I was actually quite impressed with his knowledge of 5G. I mean, he spoke to the Internet of Things and Edge. And, you know, I've attended other AT&T events, Shape, which um, in prior years, yeah, and you've been there as well, was hosted at, you know, the Warner Brothers Studios. And when they would have these celebrities, you know, on these panels, you could tell that they weren't, you know, very deep in the tech and they were sort of reading from a script. But but I was very impressed with, with his knowledge. And then, after that panel, um, um, I attended a series of demos and, and the ones that I found most compelling, there were three. Um, I've been pretty critical of Boingo um, internet you know, connectivity in airports uh, in the past, but um, what, um, what was demoed at the event was um, Boingo's leverage of AT&T's millimeter wave um, deployment and um, initially, the launch is in the, uh, the Tampa uh, airport. Uh, this is going to expand to about 25 airport, uh, airports nationwide in the U.S., and that will increase over time. But, um, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's, and it's not, um, you know, it's, it's not a slice of the network. It's, it's leveraging the public network. So if you're an AT&T customer uh, with a 5G plan, you'll be able to leverage this service immediately. And I expect also that um, AT&T will be leveraging, you know, this millimeter wave footprint in these airports for back office operations for, for the airports, you know, as well as the airlines. So 
that is encouraging. Um, hopefully we're gonna see improved service with Boingo at airports moving forward. Um, there's a second demo that I attended with Bookful and they are an AR VR platform um, that um, is focused on um, education of, you know, uh, at the kind of the pre-K to, you know, uh, elementary school, you know, you know um, grades. And it's, it's basically, it's taking um, books and using AR and VR to create an immersive experience on, on tablets and smartphones and those sorts of things. And I was actually quite impressed. And um, if you're an AT&T customer, um, they're offering um, a six month you know, subscription you know, to Bookful, similar to what AT&T recently announced with Google Stadia and um, you know, the online gaming platform, a six month uh, you know, free um, subscription. And there is actually some exclusive content with Bookful that only AT&T uh, subscribers can, can access. And then, and then finally, you know, I've, I've been somewhat critical you know, when we kind of you know, flash you know, to the past with the Time Warner acquisition and the recent spinoff of Warner Media, which I was less uh, critical of because I feel like it's going to give AT&T the ability to focus on its core competency of, of 5G and, and service delivery and that sort of thing. But I have been critical in the past of AT&T not quite, you know, fully leveraging the Warner Media assets. Um, they, they showed a demo of um, integrating, um, you know, Warner Media assets like the new Space Jam movie um, into Facebook and Instagram for some enhanced, you know, sort of user experiences and filters and those sort of things. And so um, that was encouraging. You know, I asked the person conducting the demo whether there are any, any opportunities, you know, for, you know, for further, you know, enhancing, you know, kind of experiences with, with Warner Media. And they said, stay tuned. So, um, so all in all, it was just great to get out and, you know, actually, you know, be at an event in person. And um, it was, it was great. So, um, I, you know, I, I know that you weren't able to attend, but uh, do you have any uh, additional thoughts or insights on what AT&T is up to? Yeah, I think um, AT&T is actually, seems like they're doing better with some of their Warner um, tie-ups mm -hmm. now that it's no longer part of the company. Mm -hmm. Granted, these things do take time. So it's likely that what you're seeing today has been brewing for six to 12 months if not longer. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's always interesting to see uh, how these things pan out. But I do think that Warner Media is a very powerful resource for AT&T, which they are still a significant owner of right, a new yeah. entity. Um, and I think that they should treat it like a, you know, preferred partner when it comes to content. Um, and I feel like sometimes when it's part of the company, it's actually less interesting to them because mm -hmm. they own it. Um, but when it's less owned, um, they they can still partner with other companies as well. Um, so I think it frees up AT&T a little bit in who they partner with and how. Um, and I think because of that, uh, there should be some focus on um, growing the media component of 5G, which mm -hmm. I think was originally the purpose of why they bought uh, Warner Media. Sure. Um, and I think that you know, AT&T's 5G network is kind of in the Goldilocks between Verizon and T-Mobile. Um, they have both the coverage and they have the speeds. Um, mm -hmm. And they've, you know, they've always been 
if not first, in second place almost every single time mm -hmm. when it comes to coverage or bandwidth. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see how their network rolls out over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I, I definitely think that uh, we're going to see a lot more of these 5G events from operators uh, trying to show off what they've got brewing. Uh, no, I agree. And you know, when when you when you look at the U.S. market and the tier one carriers, I mean, this is a key differentiation area for AT and T to be able to leverage content, you know, and not not repurpose or you know bundle things like Netflix and that sort of thing. I mean, no, you know, no critique on T-Mobile. They they've been sort of expert in that area and you know providing additional subscriber entitlements and in those forms and to a lesser extent Verizon. But, uh, but this, this is something that, that's a key differentiator for AT&T, at least on the consumer front. So I do think that we'll see more, you know, more tie-ups and more you know, you know, 5G experiences that result from it. So, but let's move to your second topic this week. And OpenSignal just published you know, another report. And um, you want to talk about T-Mobile. Yeah, so basically every quarter we get updated numbers on coverage, speeds, reliability, um, and and basically, no shocker here, uh, T-Mobile continued to retain its coverage and its bandwidth um, numbers. And the reason why OpenSignal is interesting because uh, it uses real user data to uh, measure these speeds and coverage, um, as opposed to say like a root metrics who's using actual testing equipment and is going out into the field but there is a very specific methodology to it. So both are very valid, but they, they produce different results. Um, and, you know, both can be skewed to, you know, whoever wants that data um, to work in their favor. So there is, there is some possibility here and there. Um, you know, it's just benchmarking in that case. But what's interesting is um, basically T-Mobile's 2.5 gigahertz continues to roll out. Um, and it's giving them the advantage on 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 bandwidth, um, okay. and it's giving them the advantage on um, coverage because they already have 600 megahertz rolled out, and they're still mm -hmm. rolling that out as well. So um, T-Mobile took 5G availability, 5G reach, uh, 5G download, and 5G upload, um, mm -hmm. and then uh, Verizon took uh, 5G games experience and 5G voice app experience. Mm -hmm. while 5G video was tied between AT&T and Verizon. So yeah. uh, what's interesting is um, if you look at 5G download speeds, T-Mobile's download speed was 87.5 megabits per second average, while AT&T and Verizon were both 52.3, which mm -hmm. is a huge difference. And that's all 2.5 gigahertz. And then yeah. if you look at uploads, it's a little bit closer, but even then T-Mobile still beats Verizon. Um, and I mean, in terms of availability, uh, T-Mobile's got 36% while AT&T's got 22 and Verizon's got 10. So mm -hmm. it's really it's really going to, I honestly think it's gonna stay this way um, and the gap will probably widen as we near the end of the year. Um, but I think uh, once we start 2022, we'll start to see Verizon and AT&T start to claw back some of the bandwidth numbers and some of the coverage sure. um, as they start to roll out mid-band. I mean, I think we all knew this. Mid-band was the, the game changer. Yeah. And uh, I think if you think about it, uh, the fact that T-Mobile closed the Sprint deal about a year late um, 
was still a, a big advantage for them. And I think if they had closed it even sooner, it would have been um, an even bigger uh, gap in terms of what what's possible versus today. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this. I mean, let, let's also remember that, you know, T-Mobile has been the first to standalone 5G deployment as well, but certainly um, their, their spectrum position, the layer cake that we've talked about in the past has given them an advantage. And, and I agree with you as, and I'm going to talk about Verizon in a moment and C-band and mid-band, but to your point, as AT&T and Verizon began to deploy the, their mid-band assets acquired from C-band primarily, um, that gap will begin to close and certainly, you know, they will deploy standalone as well. Um, and so we, we will definitely keep, uh, keep tabs on that and have updates on future podcasts. But um, I want to go to my third and final topic this week. And, and this week, Ericsson signed an expanded multi-year agreement with Verizon, uh, $8 plus billion to help them. It's not only to, to help them build out their C-band um, assets, but it's also to help them build out their, their low band and their millimeter wave uh, deployments as well. And so, but you know, for me, I mean, critical question is, um, can Ericsson help accelerate you know, their, their mid-band deployment? Because you and I have talked about on prior podcasts that this is gonna be a challenge for Verizon. Um, C-band is, you know, the, the, the spectrum range is, is in an area that requires, you know, a lot of densification and that is quite costly. But I also know that um, Ericsson has some considerable uh, capabilities with respect to Cloud RAN. And I expect that Verizon will lean into that to speed sort of the agility and the deployment of, um, of, of their 5G network. So do you have any insights here? Yeah, I think, um... I think the number was 8.3 billion. Yeah. Um, It's, it's interesting because I think um, Ericsson does have the most comprehensive portfolio of offerings. Um, They might not always be the most competitive in every segment, um, but they do offer a lot of products. Um, And I think that they are going to offer a lot to Verizon, especially since Verizon says they're going to be deploying their 5G massive MIMO mm-hmm. for C-band and low band. And they're also going to be deploying millimeter wave. So they're, they're taking the full, full solution from Ericsson. And then they're also taking, um, it looks like spectrum sharing and cloud RAN capabilities, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the Ericsson radio system. So yeah. It seems like they're taking a lot of Ericsson's um, RAN capabilities, mm-hmm. um, but there's still a lot more of the network to build out. Um, and I have a feeling that, you know, it's not going to be a blanket Ericsson network either. Right. Um, so I, I think that this is uh, step one. Um, I don't think, was there a, was there a, a time frame for how much, how much time this deal is for it just says uh, multi-year. multi-year it's a multi-year so it wasn't specific yeah I, I have a feeling that there will might be a re-up on this deal um before the network is fully built out right because i think that 8.3 billion is probably a uh not the complete um amount that they're going to need to spend on their network to build it out yeah, I'd agree. And, uh, and this clearly highlights Ericsson's leadership in RAN, you know, compared to, you know, their, their incumbent um, traditional competitors. And so 
Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, Verizon's leaning into all of Ericsson's capabilities here. So we'll, we will keep our eyes and ears on this and report back in future podcasts as needed. But um, we're running a little longer than normal, but we've had a lot of great stuff to talk about. But your third and final topic this week, we're going to talk about Samsung Networks and um, what they're doing to enable AR and VR training for the federal government in the United States. Yeah, so Samsung earlier this week um, announced that they are working with a defense contractor. Uh, I believe their name is GBL. And uh, what they're doing is uh, deploying these, um, they're called 5G test beds basically. And what they're doing is they're bringing both millimeter wave and mid-band 5G to uh, military bases. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they're helping uh, the military understand how they can leverage 5G with the, the bandwidth and the capabilities that it has with AR and VR and combining the two for training purposes. So they could possibly take out, you know, one of these 5G test beds out into the field and maybe build this whole AR VR training simulator out in the mm -hmm. field mm -hmm. where you know, they can take advantage of advanced positioning technologies, uh, high bandwidth, and being able to create these portable um, test beds. It sounds like initially these are gonna be done in the labs first, yeah. and then they're gonna move out into the field. Um, yeah. That was the, the, the indication that I got from Samsung when I was briefed on this. Um, and what's interesting is, they're not just focusing on millimeter wave, but they're also doing mid-band, which I think is really important. Um, and it will be standalone. Um, and it's gonna be using um, 5G end-to-end, -end, which means we're not using like Wi-Fi or something like that. Yeah. And um, it's gonna be standalone as well. And it's gonna be using Samsung Galaxy 5G devices. So I think it's really interesting uh, how this is gonna work out. Um, mm -hmm. But ultimately this is a much more um, this feels much more commercial or pre-commercial, um, which is a big improvement because I think we've had a lot of trials and, and tests and stuff like that. And this, this feels much more um, concrete. Um, and what's interesting is this seems like it's focused on the army specifically, um, but it's part of a larger $600 million 5G deal um, that's specifically focused for the DODs wanting to leverage 5G technologies to improve itself. Yeah, you know, I th as I think about this, I mean, this is obviously that they state that it's for it's for training purposes, but this could be a precursor to developing, you know, you know, a 5G, 5G in a box or a cow or a cold or whatever you want to call it, that can be deployed in a very remote military theater. And, you know, using AR and VR, you know, overlays with, you know, with communication devices to aid you know, and, you know, and, and, and war games and, and warfare in general. And so, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting uh, that Samsung Networks is involved. I mean, obviously, South Korea is uh, politically a, a favored nation with the United States. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, the, the military, you know, they're, they're still driving, you know, the whole Open RAN initiative to, to have, you know, eventually, we may not see it in the 5G world, but, you know, and certainly maybe in the 6G world, more of the domestically sourced supply chain for these sorts of things. But yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating when you start thinking about the applications of 5G in consumer, like we were talking with AT&T and, and in the enterprise, as I mentioned, a few use cases, but then 
military applications as well. I mean, it could be uh, quite a quite a game changer there. But we ran a little long this week, but we had lots of great stuff to talk about. Another great podcast, but why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tantech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.